Hello and welcome to the Beijing to Britain podcast with your co-hosts Sam Hogg and Steve Lynch. We aim to examine and interrogate information in the UK-China bilateral, speaking to key policymakers, thinkers and individuals in this space. In each episode, we'll discuss the recent events, activities and happenings between the UK and China, what that means and what's going on with some experts, as well as look at some parliamentary output. Steve, hello. Welcome to the last Beijing to Britain podcast of the year and what a year it has been, as we'll be discussing in this episode. But how are you feeling? Nearly nearly here for Christmas? Yeah, um, to be honest, Sam, it's a pretty boring year, if I'm honest. <laughs> we only had one prime minister. One prime minister, that's it. I know. It's outrageous. What's what's the point in you moving back to the UK? You're not going to be able to get caught up in the, uh, the sort of turmoil. I know, exactly. No, it's been a, a fascinating year. For me, it's been a, a massive year. I've returned from China after 12 years. I certainly received a reverse culture shock. But yeah, I left China in a very gloomy, downbeat place because it was COVID. Obviously, we saw the monumental U-turn on COVID, but I've come back to the UK. It's also a slight a gloomy, downbeat place. <laughs> sort of political turmoil, polarisation. So today we're just going to have a fun podcast. Uh, we're going to be doing lots of predictions Yep. Looking back at 2023, looking forward to 2024, really testing Sam Hogg's Beijing to Britain, you know, expertise <laughs> when it comes to predictions, but should be good. Should be good. And obviously you'll be emceeing or DJing this uh, this episode. So it's going to be split into a couple of sections. Do you want to give a brief outline at the top as to what these sections are? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll kick off with a few quick facts about the year uh, in regards to China being mentioned in Parliament. I think it'd also be quite good to just have a few reflections from us. Then we're going to be going through to top moments of the year between UK and China. And then we're going to do something quite interesting, Sam. We're going to be doing awards. Mm. This is going to be top people of the year Mm -hmm. related to the UK-China relationship. We're going to finish with words of the year, Mm -hmm. um, sort of those buzzwords that we all love to hear. And then finally, we'll finish on our predictions Crikey. It's crazy how the time sort of flies in this space, actually. Yeah, absolutely. I think before we get started as well, I would just like to put an enormous thank you to our producer, Natasha, who has to deal with us every week. Um, She's absolutely incredible. She also hosts Coffee House Shots on The Spectator, so an incredibly busy person, but has to deal with us. So an enormous thank you to Natasha. Yeah, I absolutely co-sign that. Great, Steve. Well, look, let's kick off then with the facts. I'm going to spin this back on you, actually. I'm going to give you three options here, and uh, you can try and work out which one you think it is. How many times do you think China, the phrase China, was mentioned in Parliament last year, including the House of Lords and the House of Commons? I'll give you three options. The first is 800. This is rounded up to the nearest 100. Yeah, yeah. The second is 1,200. And the third is (sighs) 1,100. So I am going to go with 800. I don't think it was going to be as much as 2022, but I might be wrong. Interesting. What do you think 2022 was? What's your reference point for that? I think it was in the thousands. Okay. It's not bad reasoning, but actually you're, you're wrong, unfortunately. It's 1,000, well, that this year specifically, there were 1,053 mentions of China in Parliament. But where you're right is that it is down by about 150 mentions from the previous year, which I was surprised by, actually. I thought it'd be the, uh, the other way too. But what, what makes you think there'll be less this year? I think the fact that 2022 was just so dominated by COVID, mm. supply chain issues, 
rising geopolitical tensions, China being blocked off from the world, lack of engagement, therefore it was just going to be mentioned more in the negative in Parliament. Fair enough. Well, as I said, we'll, we'll be doing a, a big briefing note coming out in about 10 days, 11 days, something like that, um, between Christmas and New Year. And I'll, I'll put a bit more detail into what the drop around China is and if other things have picked up in its place. But, you know, for example, we'll look to see where the Taiwan mentions have gone through the roof as we could come close to the election and stuff like that, too. So we'll keep an eye on that. OK, Sam, before we just go into some of the uh, top threes, what about just main reflections on our podcast, Beijing to Britain? Yeah. There are some things we can do better. I think if we can focus on things thematically rather than on current stories necessarily, which we've taken on board and we we try and do. But I have to be honest that a lot of the feedback we get is just it's, it's just great to hear you guys talk about UK, UK China stuff. It's a very small space and not many folk are talking about it on there. What about you, Steve? At the outset of the, the podcast, we aim to put balance, nuance and debate to the UK-China relationship. And I hope that's what we've done. Definitely trying to bring in experts, industry experts, to talk about some of these thematic issues. But also, again, just put a bit of colour to a really challenging bilateral relationship. So discussing it publicly, I think, is really, really critical. So we, we aim to do more of that in 2024. In regards to guests, we've, we've heard you loud and clear. We, we want a lot more politicians, MPs, business leaders on. So we'll definitely be doing that. And then also we'll be expanding into live events. So many of you all know me and Sam um, have been aiming to do Beijing to Britain events, everything from debates to off the record roundtable dinners. So if you are interested, please get in contact. We'd, uh, we'd love to discuss opportunities with you. Yeah, that sounds good. Right, Sam, 2023, what is your top moment around the UK-China relationship? I think for me, a lot of it comes down to the framing this year. So we had obviously the, the James Cleverly Mansion House speech, which set out the protect, line engage framework for understanding where the UK's sort of China strategy is. Now, why I love that is because, first of all, I always love an effort to try and strategize around things. But second of all, the natural consequence of choosing three words to create your strategy around means that every single pillar of that becomes brutally criticized by everyone in the space. So it's been very interesting as a, as a means of seeing what everyone's thoughts are on different things. To their credit, at least they've actually gone and done it rather than just do what they used to do, which was to say like, we have a view on China, we're doing all stuff like this. So I, I, that for me was a good moment. It sort of set the tone for the year and allowed criticism to, to move on to the next step rather than just being, where is your approach? What about yours, Steve? In preparation for today's podcast, I was looking back at my notes from the end of 2022, trying to make predictions for 2023. I think I was doing this in some of the media, but specifically looking at the economy. And I looked back at my notes and it said, you know, GDP figures could be anywhere between 0.2% and 5%. We just had absolutely no idea because we didn't know what was happening with COVID. So I think at the beginning of the year, on the 9th of January, COVID was lifted, COVID restrictions was lifted within the country after three years of pretty brutal lockdowns. So we're expecting sort of um, an enormous bounce back, you know, the Chinese economy bouncing back to life. But I think real structural issues were kind of seen, you know, whether it be the, the real estate crisis, unemployment, uh, you know, other major issues. So I think after making a pretty solid start to 2023, you know, I think we're ending the sort of these GDP figures, um, things around that, you know, the 4.5%. But I think this is just a demonstration that, you know, for the last sort of, well, since opening up and reform in the late 70s, China's just had this exponential growth, you know, 10, 20% GDP. I think in, in 2005, I think statistics are right, that the UK economy was the same size as the Chinese economy. You know, it's eight to 10 times the size of the UK economy now. So 
I think my overall moment of the year is obviously the COVID restrictions, but then obviously just monitoring what's happened within China, specifically, obviously, to, to the economy, but also just China's rebound in general. And I will say, trying to do a predictions on China, you know, it's a fool's, it's a fool's errand because anyone who tries to predict China has, has more or less got it wrong over the last 40 years. So it's going to be a great podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a really interesting point. And I, I think from the UK side as well, it's been fascinating to see to what extent China's economic situation has been taken at face value, to what extent politicians think that they are fudging some of the facts or that they're hearing mixed messages coming back from business too. It's actually more positive than what we're hearing, or it's actually far more negative than what we're hearing in the, in the, in the media, depending on who you speak to. And that's one of the, the sort of really fascinating points about the complexity of the UK-China bilateral is that who you speak to can completely define what the set of facts are in front of you, if that makes sense. So I agree on that. And I think to add another moment in as well, for me, which was a highlight, as you know, I, I love diplomacy and I love disco, the two of my favorite things being with D. And what I very much enjoyed was seeing the last 18 months of the run up to the AI safety summit. Because for me, that shows a very clear path if you're a policy person or you're interested in a pretty existential issue as to how you show that issue in a clear, concise way, take it to government take it into the into the media properly and then as a final point get to the stage where you can have a summit where countries from all over the world come together to begin to agree on what will be the defining technology of yours and mine um, and, and our kids and their kids lives steve so I, I think that for me was it's one of those moments where you take a step back from the sort of day-to-day -day hustle and bustle of the bilateral and just be like actually that was a very impressive achievement even if it wasn't necessarily what everyone wanted it to be, I still think as a as a convening achievement, very impressive in my, my opinion. One final moment to discuss, which is not one specific moment, but it's very difficult to talk about China, obviously the bilateral with UK, China, unless we do sort of frame it from the US China, because that's the mm. most consequential relationship, essentially systemic rivals. But I think it was quite interesting in regards to how we started the year, which was the Chinese spy balloon, and to maybe how we've ended the year in regards to the Biden Xi summit. On a security front, I think you can see both sides have taken actual very practical steps to lower the risk. I think there's been, been a softening from China towards the US on foreign policy. So maybe an interesting trend to, to look out for in 2024 as well. Okay, right, moving on. So we wanna do awards for the top people in the relationship. So you just discussed him then. I think from a government perspective, uh, the person of the year is James Cleverly, the foreign secretary. I think he, for the entirety of the year, has had a pretty challenging role, but I think he really balanced the positive judgments on China with the criticisms. He made some major speeches at Mansion House, uh, at the Conservative Party conference, which essentially said, you know, we can't just define China by one word. It's a nuanced, balanced relationship. And so he really stood up in regards to some of the negative aspects of the relationship to challenge and, and stand up for UK values while also looking at the opportunities. So I think he did a fantastic job and such a good job that he was obviously moved to the Home Office, uh, which is a bit of a poison chalice, but I think he did a great job as Foreign Secretary. So that would be my person of the year. What about yourself, Sam? I think... Controversially, my person of the year is not a British person or a Chinese person. My person of the year would be Australia's foreign minister, Penny Wong. And the reason I choose Penny Wong is because I think what she's managed to do very succinctly is to show and use language to show why it's so important to go to regional Indo-Pacific partners and islands and ask them what they want from the relationship 
and then what we can bring to the table. And I think why that matters in the UK-China context and the US-China context is because too often people who are based in Westminster or DC or wherever it is actually aren't going out there and, and they, they're, they're trying to do great power competition using a series of these countries as proxies without giving them any sort of autonomy. And I thought Penny Wong was very good at understanding how you try and you know win friends and influence people without being right up in their face trying to make them you know choose black or white uh so i i was very impressed by that i could see i can i, I can still start to see and and it's more and more often i'm seeing it the language that we are using in government communications mirrors that of the australian government too which i think is a fundamentally very good thing so for that reason and that reason alone uh well not that reason alone actually but penny wong does get my person of the year award i think i think a few other shout outs I say maybe a journalist of the of the year. I absolutely love David Rennie, uh, the economist. The Drum Tower podcast and his reporting of from in market is just phenomenal. I've had the pleasure of being on or hosting one a few panels a few times. He's just an incredibly insightful thinker when it comes to China, and some of his reporting on the grounds is fantastic. Maybe from a civil servant perspective, John Edwards, who was the former trade commissioner, former consulate general in Shanghai has returned from quite a long posting in China. And I think he did so much for the bilateral relationship. So much positive has come from, from John and his relationship. So he's now back in the UK, but I think a special mention should go to him. What about any more special mentions your side, Sam? I think I would give a special mention to Yuan Yang, who was the it was, was until quite recently a Financial Times journalist and is now running to be a MP in Parliament for the Labour Party. So you know, if she gets in, that's exactly, in my personal opinion, the sort of person we need, someone with literally worldly experience who can bring in a different set of views and help to contextualize debates so give a shout out to yuan for that and also i'm always as you know both of us work in and around politics steve i do have a level of admiration for people who are willing to put their head on that uh on that block as it were and get involved because it is not a easy career by any means even if you get in and you know i'm impressed by the courage it takes to get to that point okay right moving into words of the year sam mm. any buzzwords around the uk china relationship we would not be able to get anywhere in the UK-China relationship without the term epoch-defining challenge, which I appreciate is three words, so sorry to start that off on the wrong foot, but that has been the word that the government has used to define and defend itself and what parliament has pulled its hair out over. But I think that would be what I would open up with from the UK-China context, yeah. So I'd like to throw one in there, which is it's a it's come from decoupling, but it's now de-risking, which in essence does sort of mean the exact same thing. But it's not as aggressive in regards to pulling out of China or pulling away from China. It's de-risking away from China. So de-risking is, I think, a buzzword. I think moving forward into 2024, and we've covered this word quite a lot, securonomics. I think we're going to hear a lot more of that in the UK. I think we're going to hear a lot more of that in the US as well. I think securonomics will be my 2024 word. There's so much potential to basically lump anything you want under it and just be like, well, this is part of our securonomics plan. So Yes, I agree with you on that one, Steve, definitely. And by the way, I also love the word de-risk. It's a real, it, does, it really does it for me, genuinely. <laughs> so 2023, we'll, we'll say the, the word of the year is epoch-defining and, and prediction of 2024 word of the year is securonomics. Definitely, definitely. Right, now moving forward into some of the major predictions for 2024. What we will say about predictions in general is normally you're always wrong. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the amount of times I've seen people trying to predict China, trying to predict the Politburo, trying to predict what they'll look like in 10 years. And often uh, it's nothing like that. So uh, take what we're saying here with a little bit of a pinch of salt. We will try our best to measure against this next year. It could be completely the opposite. So, Sam, 
Give me some of your major predictions for next year. My first major prediction for next year is that there is a general election called early and Labour win it. And once Labour win the general election, they start to... They reinstate Tony Blair as (laughs) Foreign Secretary. Tony Blair comes in as Foreign Secretary, high fives David Cameron on the way out. And what I expect will happen is that part of Labour's uh, original you know, nine months or first 100 days, whatever you want to call it, would be looking at its capability stuff on China. I would I would strongly suspect that's what I would do if I was starting to like rethink about where we can integrate securonomics into the government machinery. So not necessarily the most wild and crazy and catchy piece of policy, but I think a very important one. That's my first prediction. How about you, Steve? So probably to follow on from that, I think in general, the UK-China ties will improve. And why I believe that is because I think the Conservatives and both the Labour Party have put out their general rhetoric about how they're trying to deal with China. Obviously, they've got to implement a lot of the policy behind it. But we're coming up to a general election and I don't think the general election will be fought on foreign policy. I think it will be fought on domestic issues. So I don't think this is going to be a battle that's going to be thrown around between Labour and Conservative. I also then do think more ministers will visit China. I think we're going to start to see more junior trade ministers and maybe sections of state visit. I also do suspect possibly there's a late general election, but I don't think it will be an early general election. I also think there might be a JETCO, which we've discussed before. So all of that will sort of tone down some of the rhetoric. I think there'll still be heavy criticism this side in regards to engaging with China from backbench MPs, from certain aspects of the media, from human rights groups. But in general, there'll be a toning down and improvement of bilateral relations. Interesting. Interesting. I think I'm going to have to push back on part of your prediction, then we can see who gets this more correct in 12 months. But I, I think what will happen is they. You're, I, I agree that China won't be the quote unquote foreign policy issue. But I suspect as we go towards the election, and I, I, I'm minded to agree with you as well, it'll be autumn. What I think we will see is the language around China become a domestic national security issue. So like, oh, we don't want things that are critical to us here, critical industries, et cetera, et cetera, being owned by foreign entities and foreign governments that are potentially from a hostile state. So what I expect we'll see is less language around China being this like quite abstract thing and more language from the Labour Party, especially saying the Conservatives have, quote unquote, you know, sold out your national security or your national security industries. That's my tweaked prediction. But I don't know anything about the ministerial visits or the Secretary of State visits, but that that would seem very likely. You know, we spoke that before, but, you know, we're, we're behind on that, actually, still. I think it all does depend on when the election is called, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is was st- still up in the air. Well, speaking of predictions then for 2024, we've spoken about this before, but there's some major elections coming in 2024. We've got the Taiwan election, India, mm-hmm. and then specifically related to us, the UK, and then a potential Trump 2.0 presidency. Mm-hmm. So where do you stand on some of the elections and what that might mean for the China relationship? So if I was to go through that in reverse order, I, my, my personal view again is that Trump will win the election. And I'm, I remain very concerned that there's not enough being done here in, in the establishment to factor in that, that sort of outcome, especially around foreign policy and, and NATO. Going back through that order again, the Indian election will be fascinating. I mean, that is a, a a democracy in a way that we don't understand democracy because it's like tweaked version of it. But the outcome of that will either empower Modi to carry on the way he is or potentially check him on some level, although I suspect it'll be the former rather than the latter. And then the Taiwanese election obviously takes place in a, in a handful of weeks. And I think it's going to be interesting to see whether the DPP win and try and maintain a status quo or whether it's the KMT come a bit closer than people are going to think they're going to get. And all, all this sort of stuff will factor into how we in the UK deal with China and deal with Taiwan to an extent too. So lots to lots to keep an eye on there. What about you, Steve? 
Well, I think just going back to the Trump, I mean, that's going to be the big one, the big unknown. And when we say that, because I think it will bring a lot of turmoil because of the unknowns. Mm -hmm. Um, Will that bring national security risks? When we talk about Trump and regards to China, I think he will take a very strong trade policy stance and everything around risk and national security can be tied into that. Most probably, if Trump comes in, he will come in at the end of 2024. So we will not be seeing the effects of that until 2025. Mm -hmm. So again, there's, there's still a lot of what ifs. My other prediction, which is kind of counterintuitive to kind of what I've just said, but I think China will continue to rally against the Global West alliances. Or regardless if he comes in, I think Trump will use China to be bashed about. I think there's concerns around EU protectionism and combating some of the the trade deficits. So I think China will continue to rally and push against kind of the global Western alliances, while at the same time doubling down on global initiatives such as the G21, BRICS. You know, so on one side, he, he's going to be pushing against the, the US driven global standing and then trying to bring in a, a, a China solution globally. So I think it's going to be counterintuitive. On one side, they're going to be saying we need you know, to work together globally. On the other, they're going to be trying to break up those US global West driven alliances. Yeah, look, what will separate the really clever analysts next year from the people who just follow the noise will be the people who can see that different parties and democracies will use China as a means to bash their opposition in the run up to the election versus what the actual country is doing with regard to China, if that makes sense. You know, is the trade still going on? What partnerships are being made in the Indo-Pacific to try and counter Chinese aggression or whatever that is? So there'll be the, the people who'll be worth following will be the people who can separate the noise from the on-the-ground reality, as it were. Agreed. Any other predictions? Yeah, my final prediction actually is around AUKUS, which everyone will know is the Australia-UK-US partnership. Originally, basically with, with the headline being that we're going to work together to develop nuclear-powered submarines. But there's a second pillar on AUKUS, which looks at technology, future technology. And I think what you might see more and more over the next 12 months is policymakers begin to understand and then encourage and talk about more investment and flourish in that space. Because there's a lot there's a lot of capacity there to do some really interesting projects between three countries, which are very, very close. You know, beyond AUKUS, we also share the Five Eyes partnership, for example. So I think you'll see more of that. I think you'll see more people talking about pillar two of AUKUS, where you can make money from that, where you can do really innovative cutting edge work and where the US, UK and Australia share intelligence and sort of cutting edge stuff like that. So that excites me a lot. I love, as you know, that sort of uh, nerdy tech stuff. So that's perfect. Do you have any hopes for 2024, Sam? If we could say to you, you know, you get one wish when it comes to the UK-China relationship, what would it be? My wish would remain fairly consistent from the last couple of years, which is just, I wish that the government realizes that to fund capabilities and to fund a strategic approach to China, it needs to put significant money into the space. It can't just be a case of, we've identified China as an epoch-defining challenge. We're going to give a couple of million pounds to civil servants to sort that out. It needs to be really sort of grassroots investment from a very young age and there needs to be someone or a team who whose entire job is thinking about how do we prepare the uk for the next 10 20 30 years of uk china relations and as a final touch to that by the way you know once you've got that framework in place you can use that framework for other bilaterals too you know the uk nigeria relationship for the next 30 years the uk russia one the uk us one whatever it is so I, I hope at some point in the next year there's a recognition that the frameworks need to be rebuilt and funded properly 
How about you, Steve? Politicians work in political cycles. Civil servants don't have to. They need to work in generational cycles. So I completely believe there needs to be more joint up long term thinking when it comes to China and also long term funding and investment of how we deal and the nature of how we deal with China. So for me to kind of piggyback on what you've said, I'd love to see investment in sort of that people to people relationship. You've obviously spoken about the investment that needs to go into government and, and government resourced. I would love to be able to see that more projects funding sort of China literacy, whether it be at university, at school. So we have an understanding and a new generation of how to deal with China, um, to speak the language and to invest in going to China. There used to be an amazing British Council initiative where they would fund students to learn the language, work in China, understand the culture, and then they would come back. You know, So I, I think... If we could put more funding into China capabilities, I think it's absolutely critical. We are at a point now where I think there needs to be a level of seriousness about where we are, if that makes sense. And for too long, um, because of ministerial churn and just the general chaos we found ourselves in post-Brexit, people have been able to defer that responsibility or, 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 so, or just very fairly say, I actually have no capacity to do this right now. But with a general election ahead and looking like the first serious change in government in 13 years, that for me is the perfect time to come in and build into place those systems and reap the benefits for decades going forward. And just the last thing I'd add on that as well is, even if you are the most hawkish person or the most dovish person, whatever those terms mean, it is absolutely in your interest for the UK to have a wider literacy on China. That that works for both camps. So for me, it's an, the, the ultimate non-partisan building resilience, building capability stuff you can do. What a beautiful way to end our final podcast of 2023. <laughs> uh, well, Sam, I, let's end it there. How do you say Merry Christmas in uh, Mandarin, Steve? Oh, my God. Um, okay. Which is Happy Christmas. I think it's Happy Christmas. Oh, my I've been out of China for a year, so I, I might have forgotten it. <laughs> Perfect. That will do. Steve, take care. I will speak to you in the new year and have a very lovely, relaxed Christmas with you and yours. All the best, Sam. You too.